along with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and this is the first of two hours of Ghost Chronicles Radio. With me is my co-host, one of the most famous men in the UK. Must be because he's the godfather of ghost hunting and the gold standard of ghost hunting. And who knows whatever else, the founder of Parascience, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good evening. Are you one of the most famous pe- persons in England? No, gosh, no. Not, not by a long stretch. Mm. There, are, there are hundreds of um, paranormalists with Facebook followers, oh, tens of thousands, and yeah, they stream nightly on their on their to their fans and followers. So, I would rank somewhere down near the bottom. Ah, good, 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 good. You haven't Which sold your soul yet. I'm, you haven't I'm, sold your soul yet, huh? No, I'm I'm quite happy with my my lowly position. <laughs> quite, not quite. lowly, I would guess. But anyways, but I did want to mention something. I was watching a documentary on the uh, Falkland Wars and uh, the, uh, oh, God, I can't think of the name of the ship. Damn. Oh, it was. uh, What was it, first of all? The Falkland Wars. You know, the Falkland Wars. Uh, Well, yeah, but what was the name? What was what what was the ship? Not forget the name. It was a uh, a ship that they they used to to transport the army in. Sir Galahad. Sir Galahad. That's right. How could I forget that name? It's such a great name. But uh, yeah, it was one of the the worst disasters of the uh, the Falkland Law was. But the the interesting thing about it, it was uh, most of the combat was it was commandos and, and navy, and they brought these army units in. They brought in uh, the Gurkhas and the um, uh, the Scottish. Paris, the Paris. The, the what are the Paris? Paratroopers. Oh yeah, Paratroopers. But they brought they they had a uh, a uh, regiment uh, I don't know what the size of it was but I'm saying a regiment of uh, Welsh special Welsh troops as well. Well, they weren't special; they were just a Welsh regiment. Welsh yeah, and regiment. yeah, they were, and uh, they uh, they were aboard the Sir Galahad, and, and uh, when the uh, Argentinians bombed it, they hit the ammunition, and it it did tore them up really bad. Um, it, I think forty-seven dead or something like that. I believe. Uh, but, yeah, it was during the landings at San Carlos Water. And, yes, uh, yes. Because because the Atlantic conveyor, which was carrying the uh, Chinook helicopters, had been sunk previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then it, it was impossible to um, airlift the troops across from one side of the Falkland Islands to the other. So they they decided that some would march across or yomp across, as the British call it, yep. um, 
and that was the commandos, the para the para um, the parachute regiment, uh, some of the others, and some they de- they they uh, decided to sail around and use the landing craft. Sir Galahad, Sir Tristran, and oh. uh, there was another one um, to bring them into San Carlos, San Carlos water by daylight. Right. Um, they set up, uh, and of course the Argentinians got through. Um, most of the Argentinians were shot down, but mm-hmm. one or two did get through and successfully bombed Sir Galahad. Yeah. Um, but the vast majority of people on it did survive. You know, right. there was a lot, a large lot of life, but I know, uh, the but vast that was... majority of the of the of the soldiers they bore the uh, they bore the brunt of the attack. The the Welsh regiment. Uh, they, well, oh, yeah, of the because they were on the deck at the time trying to d- dislodge, and, and it, it, the when the bombs hit. Oh, this is according to the documentary. I, you know, I'm just telling you what the documentary said. You know, I'm not an expert on it by any means, but it, it sounded terrible. But the interesting thing about it was, is they captured the the Falklands, and they were <laughs> enormously outnumbered. But uh, the uh, Dispatched them very quickly, as, as well as uh, the other island too. It was a South. Uh, oh, what was the other island? Well, South, South Georgia. Thank you, South Georgia. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was interesting. I love history, so uh, I watched that one because I, I know very little bit of it, other than what I saw in the news at the time. And, and the British took a, a beating with their ships and the French Exocet missiles and. Uh, oh, the French sold the bloody missiles to the Argentinians, but yeah. here we are. Um, it, it is it, it was what it was. You know, we yeah. we we have the Falklands are still British. The Argentinians still don't like the idea. Um, oh well, and and occasionally beat the drum, but uh, mm-hmm. we we rallied together and we sailed halfway across the world. Um, yeah, that was the amazing shot. thing about it. Is is the, well, the line of. Well, nobody you know? thought Britain. In fact, Argentinian were, were and um, they were they. The whole premise of their invasion was that Britain couldn't do anything about it. Right. That didn't have an effective, you know, navy, and that we were too far away, and and anyway, we wouldn't be bothered. But they'd overlooked the fact that the British are bothered. Yeah. And that we do, you know, and we can assemble at short notice. Um, a force, and it doesn't have to be a huge. I mean, what was interesting is if you compare uh, the 1982 Falklands invasion to the invasion of Kuwait by Iraq, mm-hmm. um, Britain was, you know, on on the way. Um, you know, in rub, rubber boats, rowing boats, men with dogs. You know, everything set off to to the south, and you know, we were on our way within a few weeks. But um, with the 19 uh, ten years later, Desert Storm, and it took um, the coalition six months to assemble its forces. Yeah, yeah, so, it was uh, pretty amazing. I, I, one of the things I, I, I was really amazed with was they sent the four-engine bombers to bomb, the, and they they traveled from, I believe, Ascension. Uh, uh, if I'm getting the name right, it's an island. Operation, well, it's still British. It's still a British air base. Uh, yeah. Actually, it was least least the Americans, believe it or not. <laughs> it, it has been periodically, yeah. um, but Operation Black Buck was a 
and it was it it was designed. It was never designed to destroy anything. Um, nope. the, the sole the sole intention was to show the Argentinians that we could, if we wanted, bomb uh, bomb the Falkland Islands. So what they did is they they looked at what aircraft that were available. Now the Vulcans were the Vulcan RV, our equivalent of the B fifty two bomber, mm-hmm. um, had the range. To, well, could do the job, but it would require in flight refueling. Nine um, tankers. They actually had a refuel the tankers. It's much more complicated than even that. They um, refuel the tankers. The tankers refuel the tankers. It was unbelievable. Oh, I know. I, 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 but what I was going to say is it's far more complicated than that because there was two Black Buck bombers. One, to, what, what, you had the one that was doing the operation and the spare. And in fact, it was the spare that, that completed the mission because the the primary bomber um, the one that was intending to do the job actually had to turn around. You then had tankers for both of the Vulcan bombers. And you had tankers. You then, for the had, then you had tankers for the tankers. Yep. Then you had a second wave of tankers that yep. went out to meet the tankers. Yep. You also, which, which when they do all the numbers, you also had four uh, maritime patrol uh, sea rescue aircraft up. Uh, you had one uh, one reconnaissance aircraft up, and they both they all they, so there's five more that needed tankers. So the tankers shuffling backwards, back, and we had you know I, I, 22 tankers uh, available, oh, yeah. and those tankers were shuffling backwards and forwards between the Ascension yeah. Islands. They were refilling. One or two, uh, two tankers broke. Uh, another one, the, the refueling probe uh, snapped off and he barely made it back to Ascension Island. And, uh, but they all landed safely. The bombs were dropped. And the, the idea was to put one or two bombs onto the runway. And yeah. as, you, as you saw. Now, that was the first one. There was actually four or five of those, of those black buck type raids that were yeah. carried out. Um, well, I don't want to get the, go into too much, too too much, but uh, yeah, that was uh, it, it was that's, intriguing. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. yeah, it was very it was easy. very good. I mean, if anybody knows that you do, because you're a, you're an aviation buff as well, right? I am. I'm a terrible yeah. aviation buff. Yeah, that's good. So I figured you'd know about it, but uh, it was intriguing. It was a good documentary. Uh, so, anyways, but we're going to look at something else tonight. Before we do, that, I want to shout out the number newest patron of the Ghost Chronicles radio shows, and that's uh, Craig Dergoot, if I could say that right, which I probably did not, joining Susan Brown and, of course, Anna Isabella Roach. So you, too, can become a patron. Go to our page and check it out. Anyways, um, I came across, I was cleaning my computer out, and I came across this this little tape that I found. Uh, not tape, of course, but uh, this little audio piece. So it gave me the idea about doing the show. And uh, so, uh, Roy, if we have that audio piece, can we play that now, please? Pembroke Castle has a long and fascinating history, for it was around 1093 that Arnulf de Montgomery built the small inner bailey standing at the end of the promontory. Only a few years later, the castle withstood a long siege by the Welsh, although its defenders were near starvation. The late 12th century keep is both an outstanding feature and an architectural novelty, 
for it has a massive cylindrical tower with an unusual stone dome. Now views from the top are tremendous and the castle's natural defensive position on top of the rock overlooking Milford Haven is immediately apparent. Pembroke is also noteworthy as the only castle in Britain to be built over a natural cavern, a large cave known as the Wogan. Historically, Pembroke is important not only for its masonry, but for the fact that Harry Tudor, who became Henry VII and inaugurated the Tudor line of monarchs, was born here in 1457, reputedly in the tower now known as the Henry VII Tower. During the troubled reign of King Charles I, the castle was attacked in turn by both royalist and by roundheads as the sympathies of its occupants altered. In the latter stages of the struggle, an attacking force was led by Cromwell himself. Today, Pembroke Castle is owned and managed by a private charitable trust. Over the past ten years, much effort has been made to bring the history of the castle to life. In this respect, the visitor will find an exhibition room telling the fascinating history of the castle from the arrival of Arnulf de Montgomery to the present day. In addition, there are a number of exciting tableaux depicting various moments in the castle's history, such as the birth of Henry VII. The castle and a well-stocked gift shop are open all year. There is a cafe and a brass rubbing centre open during the summer months and at other times by arrangement. So that's the history. But there is another side to Pembroke Castle. There are reports of ghosts, of unusual occurrences taking place around the castle grounds. Steve Parsons has been given an exclusive opportunity to investigate Pembroke Castle and has even opened this up to the public for tonight. Pembroke Castle has its secrets. Well, well, that was a long time ago. Yes, I... Uh, that, was, I th that was before the Teller of Curious Tales. Yes, that was a good one. That, that is our good friend, of course, uh, Dylan Jones. Your good friend, actually. He's uh, someone who I've met last year, but uh, uh, you've okay. known him for a long, long time. So, uh, yeah, and our thoughts are with Dylan tonight. Yeah, he, uh, he has a death in the family, right? Death in the family, death. yeah. His cat died. Um, well, it's a family member, and uh, our thoughts go to Dylan. And uh, oh, and... oh, yeah, definitely. I wasn't aware of that. I thought his cat died, yeah. That's right. A pet. Pet cat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So, yep. Yeah, well, I my the last cat that died, I cried two days. Uh, every when I started thinking about her, I got teared up on it. So uh, I can understand that. Uh, pets do tug at your heartstrings uh, more than yeah, people I at times. I am not you because you're a cold fish. I am cold fish, Steve Parsons. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, the cat's dead. Get another one. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that was a while ago. I'm not sure the, the, around how old it is, um, but uh, it, it was uh, an investigation that you did there with the, with the public. That did occur, I believe, right? Uh, it did. Uh, it was. It only occurred once, unfortunately, no, twice. 
Um, there were two. Uh, Dylan, Dylan came to one. Um, yeah, but they weren't proper. I mean, they weren't investigations. They were they they were public um, show and tell. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know. exactly. But you know, I I did want to talk about I, that because they had we. Well, I mean, they followed the usual format. You know, they went on a history talk, a history walk around the castle with the yeah. um, one one of the guides, and they had a supper, and then we talked to them a little bit about. The, um, the stories and the history that they might experience. So then we divided them up into smaller groups and we sent them to some of the areas of the castle to, so that they could find out for themselves if the castle was haunted or not. Mm. Um, and the, the, the whole premise of the nights, of course, was to was to raise money for charity. On, right, of uh, course. On the um, and, and, and also on a quid pro quo basis, because um, we were quite keen to return to the castle to, um, because I, 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 some years earlier uh, I'd been involved in a, a more prolonged investigation of uh, a phenomena that had been reported there, really? and uh, which which we we will I'll come to in a minute. And I was quite keen to get back in there because they had banned all forms of ghost hunting and ghost activities Ugh. because. Uh, because a, a local paranormal team had abused the privilege. Um, God bless. And, and um, so we, we, we came to this arrangement. We would do a couple of public ones, raise some money, raise the profile in exchange for, you know, every public one we did, we would have um, an equal opportunity. So we did one public night. We had a night or we could have a night in the castle um, right. to investigate. And we kept our side of the bargain. They never did? No. They always found an excuse not to. Now, that's that's a bloody shame. I mean, I, I don't understand that at all. And then, and, then, and then subsequent to that, of course, the, um, what they realized is that these ghost hunting nights were quite lucrative. And that um, instead of raising money for – because they, they, they obviously need money. Mm-hmm. Um, that by by moving all of the operation in house, so the uh, historian stroke chief guide, who we enrolled to do the history talk, now does his own ghost walks and ah, uh, he's a ghost expert as, too. Yeah, he, he he is yes now a ghost expert. Uh, starts yeah, himself okay. as the ghost finder general. Oh, um, we've had him on our show. We have. We have. Yes, we have. I mean, found a, no, he's found a hundred no, ghosts there, I believe, right? Um, well, certainly many, many more than I was ever aware of. Um, no animosity between myself and him. Um, you know, it's a commercial operation, um, right. and that's that's the way of the world. You know, sometimes you you show them the opportunity, they snatch the opportunity and make screw you. Make, <laughs> yeah, screwed. Yeah, we were screwed oh. over by Pembroke Castle. Well, that's a shame. Anyway, so definitely, uh, you... I should also point out. I yep. just remembered that the 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 uh, lady, uh, the nice lady who ran the tea rooms at the castle, um, and had never really gone on a ghost. I'd never been on a ghost hunt before. Um, joined us for both of those nights. Uh, when she, you know, after after she'd made the refreshments, 
mm-hmm. um, and became so expert at it that she now has her own paranormal group and and is uh, a bird a budding psychic. Ah, it happens all the time. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I won't, well, come, on, I won't come on our radio show um, at all. I've asked. Yeah, when is the buck to be made? Going to tell you that. exactly. Yeah, so that spawned. Uh, yeah, when you think about it, Steve, think about all the 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 people that you and I have both uh, shared our wisdom with. I guess is a good way of saying it, and yeah. have turned around and and now become experts in the paranormal. And uh, yeah, and it's surprising how many times that that um, research that I've been involved with, and I dare say that research and projects that you've been involved with, suddenly appear under somebody else's um, banner. Oh, this is work I've done, or I've had this great idea, and actually, uh, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Such a shame. It's the way of the world, though, isn't it? It is. So, anyways. Some of the things that we do. we're, We're done bitching on this now, so it's time yeah. to... Well, I don't know if it's bitching. It's more exposing, oh, I guess. It's it's way just, it's not exposing. It's just the way of the world, the reality. Yeah. Of it's exposing what really goes on in the ghost hunting community. Yeah. You, think, yeah. you, know, you think we're all para-unity? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But you, you mentioned earlier in your, in your, uh, your conversation there that you had been there prior to this Well, yeah, and it's the reason, it's actually Pembroke Castle is the reason I now live in Pembrokeshire, Um, because I I last visited Pembrokeshire when I was a a small boy on a family holiday, and I'd never been back. And so I got got contacted uh, by um, a media company, Uh, and the media company wanted, they'd they'd, um, been filming at Pembroke Castle with a paranormal group from um, the, Brit- the English Midlands and whilst they were there making this uh, ghost hunting documentary, docudrama whatever <laughs> uh, an event took place they, they had the, uh, this uh, sound this voice shouting uh, and they said it sounded inconsolable wailing voice uh, that was heard around the castle and um, and had been recorded by the film crew's sound man. Uh, that they'd asked uh, a well-known British paranormal investigation organisation to uh, look at the case. Uh-huh. They had um, waved it aside by claiming it was, you know, it was clearly a hoax and that there was nothing in it and. They they were quite disparaging about it, and of course they didn't catch it themselves. So they have to be disparaging. Somewhat aggrieved, um, the media company, uh, I think through the SPR, contacted Parasites, Mm. and we assembled a group. So we took that. We went. We we arranged to return to the castle with the original group of investigators from the Midlands, with the original production company, uh, with myself and. three or four investigators and a parapsychologist, Dr. Simon Sherwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, we'd also had copies of the original sound recordings sent to us so that we could analyze them um, on computer before we went there. 
and uh, we have a recording of it. It's only, it only lasts about a minute. I think we've got time before the before the break to play. This it. is this is the recording that was was made. <laughs> Original recording that was made by the sound recorder of the media company who were making the drop the documentary. So, Roy, can we play this? This. There's more than that. Hello? On our local radio station, we use Myriad, and it didn't, it wasn't an issue with that one. So can I wasn't just, expecting it to be. A... Can you just play that the uh, that into microphone? Up, up your regular computer or whatever. So I assume we're still on the air, right? <laughs> okay. So you can see what we are trying to solve this, and I'll tell you what. Uh, why don't we t deal with that when we, after the break? How's that? Sounds perfect, Todd. All right, let it go. seconds so that was it and we'll come back we're going to discuss it a little bit more but uh, that was much better uh unfortunately like all radio broadcasts and sometimes if if the if you go into dead air that's why they say dead air the computers don't like that and they they just cut in with something else because you're not allowed to have dead air on the air anyways we got to take a break right now you listen to ghost chronicles international with steve parson and ron Kolick right here on tojanet and pararex radio uh we'll be right back after the following messages Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event? 
book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. The creepy and the kooky, mysterious and spooky, they all talk ugly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. talking about historic investigation of a very historic location, Pembroke Castle, located on the southwestern tip of Wales, uh, jutting out into the Atlantic Ocean. Next stop, New England, of course. So just before the break, we, we played a, uh, a tape that was recorded by the original investigation team and a the productive production crew of an investigation. It was actually recorded by the sound engineer and the okay, sound man for the production you, crew. Yep. It wasn't recorded by the investigation team. Um, okay. So I, what you hear is them all, they're in the cavern in this cave, this large open cave uh, beneath the castle, uh, which was used for loading and unloading of ships and supplies um, for the castle itself. Um and whilst they were down there, they're all, they're all setting up a shot and doing what production companies and ghost investigators do. Um, and they start to hear this voice. I know, it was pretty dramatic, actually. And it got louder and louder and louder. And mm. they all stopped. And um, fortunately, the recorder was on and they captured it and they sent it off and they got dismissed and then. I got passed to us and said, we've just been given the brush off and we're not very happy with this whole thing. And we'd like you to have a look at it. Uh, now, I had that recording. Um, that, is my, that is my copy of the, my, uh, my copy of the, of the record, of the original that was sent to me. Uh, and I analysed it. And it was very clear uh, from the analysis, and I said so at the time, that we were not dealing with... Um, a normal voice being produced by by vocal cords, and the reason that it was so apparent was that there was the ranges at the uh, upper and lower frequency ends were missing completely, which left two possibilities: either the it, it was a recording being played back through the speaker. Uh, that's one possibility, or that it was a non 
human voice of a sort that, you know, wasn't being generated by a human vocal cord. So oh, that was, I was just going to ask you about that. Oh, very good. So, you know, these were, these were the two possibilities that we had. We, we could say for certainty it was not being produced in real time by a human being because the vocal range was, was missing uh, the top and the bottom uh, of the frequency ranges. Now, I don't know what a paranormal voice sounds like. Perhaps, you know, if it was, if it was a paranormal voice, then it might be missing frequency ranges. But it is also possible that we could have been listening to uh, a speaker, which was attenuating the frequencies, because obviously um, a loudspeaker won't play an entirely, you know, full representation of a frequency range of a voice. So that was our part. And we went down there and, and we spent um, uh, a day and a night there um, looking at the possibility, all of the possibilities. We had people located at different parts of the castle. And we had uh, our own sound recording equipment, which was of the same quality, um, located alongside the original sound recording equipment. So we had two sets of... So we had all, all, as much original equipment as we could to replicate. We had as many of the original investigation team uh, so that they could describe what they were doing and talk us through uh, what was happening. And we, could, we also had the production company um, who were also, you know, um, they weren't filming a production this time. What they were doing was helping us recreate what happened the first time, mm -hmm. see if we could together understand it. And um, we we um, we spent several hours uh, with people in different locations, and then we tried it with um, various assorted loudspeakers. Uh, to see if we could replicate this effect or then look at other possibilities because the castle is located um, in the town of Pembroke. Uh, the town comes up to the castle uh, perimeter wall, although the castle is surrounded on three sides by water. Um, town runs, runs on the fourth side. You know, could it have been somebody going home you know, late at night drunk and, and singing or shouting? Could it have been? But I thought you said that was, it was a non-human voice range. Well, we had to we had to look at all the possibilities. Oh, okay. Good. So, so that was what the analysis had showed, but we still had to consider, you know, all of the possibilities. The analysis right. was done using um, you know, frequency spectrum analyzer, and there's always a margin of error. It's always worthwhile. I mean, we had the people, we had the equipment, we had the castle. We might as well check it anyway. It was in a, oh, sure. a little time. Um, and then, and of course, then it closes the door on people saying, ah, but did you check that it wasn't a drunk walking so home? True. So true, so <laughs> true. So, so we did all of that. And um, yeah, we solved the mystery. You uh, did? We did. We were able to solve the mystery of the Pembroke voice. And it, it came about in uh, quite an unusual manner because we'd taken a break um, in the mid-evening for, for food. And uh, during the, the, the break for food, the uh, production assistant uh, from the production company had come over and uh, was talking 
and was clearly trying to tell us something and being very nervous about it. And uh, we, we picked up on this and uh, gave them, him, the opportunity to uh, move away from the rest of the, the crew to talk to us. And um, what, what had actually happened is that on the, the night of the original recording, so nearly a year before, uh -huh. uh, they, they had um, been filming for a day, all day and into the night. And um, it was a cold, you know, sort of it was getting cold, people were getting bored. And the production assistant picked up one of the walkie-talkies and started shouting, get me out of here, help me, I, I... into the radio handset. He didn't realise that almost everybody downstairs in the in the cavern um, had radio, you know, had their radios on. So this thing was coming from every direction from all of the radios that were inside the cavern, which is, and then the sound was bouncing off walls. And, um, but. When, when you when, they, when you when, wait a minute, I have to ask a question on that because yeah, yeah, when you yeah. when you talk into a radio, doesn't it make that initial sound and uh, on and off sound? The uh, I mean, it's it's well, quite distinctive. Well, um, not all radios do, and if you listen to the recording, um, there is a lot of talking. Uh, by 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 the people there, um, which could easily mask a radio keying up. Okay. Um, so, but this is so uh, essentially what happened then is, of course, they all came falling out of the um, or coming out of the cave, uh, the cavern, um, excitedly chattering about this dramatic event that had taken place and making a big deal about it. And this person was just simply too embarrassed. Um, in fact, didn't realise at first that it was what had happened, uh, that they had been the cause of it until you know perhaps some some few minutes later, and then decided it was probably best to keep shtub about it if they wanted the uh, job. If they wanted to keep the job, um, <laughs> but they when we started saying um, when we'd said earlier um, that. It was coming from a speaker. There was a mechanical component because the the, the, the frequency range was clipped, um, and we weren't dealing with you know a direct human voice. We were mm -hmm. dealing with a voice that was coming through some other medium, um, either a paranormal medium. I don't mean a psychic medium, or <laughs> or a box, you know, a device of some sort. And that's when they decided that we were getting a bit close <laughs> and owned up. I get it. So, uh, so we solved it. Now, what was interesting? It was it was a pretty scary voice. John even said so in the chat room. That was a very scary voice um, initially. When I heard um, it, when I, when you sent it to me, and I, I listened to it, it's like, whoa, this is pretty. Cool. Also, it, it's also at normal volume, very loud. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because the sound man actually turns around, and we 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 figured this out uh, once we realised what the cause was. Uh, during the recording is the sound man is turning around with the, the boom microphone, 
trying to locate the sound of it and comes very close to one of the radios, uh, which is being sort of jacket worn by. So it starts off with the microphone facing away from the radio and then swings around with the microphone facing towards the radio, ah, which is why it gets, which is why the recording gets louder. What was also uh, you don't you don't have on that recording is we we had a second recording uh, which was made from the castle keep. Now the castle keep and the cavern are separated by 60, 70 feet of solid rock between the two of them. Uh, and yet the recording is the same, or you know, the two recordings, one from uh, the keep, uh, which was made on a, a normal handheld uh, recording used, by, used for ghost hunting. Uh-huh. So it's a lot quieter, but it's exa- obviously exactly the same thing. Now, that's what led us to believe that we were dealing with something, you know, mundane, right. uh, because you know, a ghostly voice, you know, even at full volume, nobody, when we were doing the tests earlier in the day, if we put somebody in the, in the, in the cavern, they could shout and bang drums and yell until they, you know, nobody could hear them up in the keep. Mm-hmm. And yet this same event was heard in the keep, recorded in the keep and recorded in the cavern, uh, which is either truly paranormal or the evidence that two radios, because there were multiple, it wasn't, everybody wasn't in the, in the cavern. There was, there were still some people, you know, ghost hunting up in the keep or patrolling, you know, I mean, the, the production assistant was preparing food and picked up one of the radios and started shouting into it. So there was, there was multiple people around the castle with radios, um, which is why so many people heard it. Um, and, of course, when they all came up excitedly talking about, oh, that voice that was yelling and shouting. Now, the production assistant genuinely didn't think, uh, didn't connect to what they'd done. They just thought they were, you know, uh, having a, you know, help me, they weren't trying to um, pretend to be a ghost. They were just mm-hmm. expressing their you know, frustration the place for a long day. Yep. They'd been there for 12 hours and right. know, they were starving, hungry and cold. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that everybody else, they, they thought that only the other production assistant had the radio switched on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm unaware that, you know, everybody tuned their radios to one frequency mm-hmm. and then got all embarrassed and decided that yeah. it was probably, yeah. Discretion is the best part of our. Yeah. So we have a question from John in the chat room, and it's kind of a good question. If you were doing a ghost investigation, what what would you uh, like to capture? A clear audio or a visual? Like a full body operations versus a ethereal voice? Well, do you know what? Nowadays, I think the problem, well, a, a voice on its own, like with the Pembroke voice, the problem is uh, without, without multiple uh, sort of witness testimonies. But there was there, though, right? Yeah, or video evidence. You, yeah. you're, it, there was nothing to demonstrate, uh, mm-hmm. like we had with footsteps at the school. There's nothing right. to prove that somebody didn't walk up the corridor just because you've got a great recording. Yeah. Um, of of a sound. The other and the problem, of course, with photography, uh, you know, if you get a great full-bodied apparition, is photography can be so quickly faked these days that 
photography has all but lost its credibility. So basically, you're screwed. Uh, so basically, I think, I think possibly, you know, to answer John's question, uh, I would put most reliance in video evidence that has supporting audio, all, all, all contained from the one camera. Just one at all, Steve. That's all. <laughs> well, with audio, with I mean, I know a, a camcorder it still allows us to have a simultaneous audio track with um, images. Right. Uh, it's more difficult to fake than still photography. Yeah. And um, it gives us a better opportunity of understanding what took place. So if I wanted to capture some footsteps, I would like it on a video camcorder. If I were to capture a full-bodied apparition, I would like it to be captured on a video camera, ideally. And in fact, um, it's, it's probably the, the tool I would most recommend. Uh-huh. The uh, you know I know even during the the early years of the AAEVP, uh, they used to uh, videotape as well as do their uh, audio recordings. In fact, if they got an EVP on their audio recorder and not not on the video record, no, if they got it on the video recorder and the audio recorder then they would discount it as not being a true EVP because uh, it was captured at real time versus, uh, you know, being uh, heard on playback. So mm. that's how they would dis- discount it. If this... Well, I mean, but yeah, I understand totally what you're saying, though. Yes, that's right. If you, I would, you know, when you're doing an EVP session, you should definitely are doing any audio recording, you should definitely have video as well so that you have uh, a backup. Well, I, I mean, I, I always, I, I think I've said, probably said before, I remember getting called, um, there was a paranormal group who asked me to look through the, uh, they'd been investigating a castle nearby here, not Pembroke Castle, a different one. And um, it, it's You have famous. so many castles. <laughs> uh, there's 30, 31 in the county I live in. Um, but non- this isn't a, an advert for, for castles because you can't come and visit them at the moment. Uh-huh. But um, this this group had assembled a, an astonishing collection of uh, photographs, uh, amounting to with their digital cameras, amounting to around about two and a half thousand photographs. And they put the, all these onto disc and said, you know, would you uh, would you mind having a look? Oh. At these, they, they gave me some numbered uh, pictures to look at, but they said, oh, we've included everything we've taken, which is fantastic. Um, gives me context. So I, I said, thank you very much. And incidentally, what is the, what is the major phenomena um, of the area in which you know, you've taken all of these hundreds, thousands of pictures? Because they were all of one part of the castle. Mm-hmm. And they said lots of pe- lots of people, um, including staff, have reported hearing footsteps. Ah, and so they are all these pictures. <laughs> now I said, did you make any audio recordings? No. Ah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I think that I've used that story before to illustrate the problem with some. Investigation processes, right? And so, 
I know we we've gone deep into the show, and and I do want to touch about a little bit about your your public investigation, the ghost walk or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I know you don't give much credence in it, but as far as the participants, what did they find? You know that impressed them. I mean, you, you know what what got them excited and and uh, you know impressed them. Well, do you remember? Uh, vaguely, um, it's it's not that I don't put any. I, I, it's wrong to say I don't put any credence in. In fact, I think that the um, the public access ghost investigation is one of the most useful tools that we have in the toolbox nowadays, because it's the only thing that we've got left that can dis uh, that, that we can put up against the ghost the ghost programs that they see or the or things that they see on YouTube and social media, all this running around chasing demons. Because it gives them the opportunity to see to see um, an investigation, a haunted location, um, and some of the some of the techniques for themselves. And uh, hopefully, you can ask them to think a little, you know, think about what's really happening. You can allow them to use the equipment. You can allow them to. Um, but it's always been very much. My philosophy has always been very much on. I would, um, and I, you know, I've been on many, many public uh, investigations where I've been um, as a guest, mm-hmm. and and follow the group as they go from room to room or or uh, space to space, location to location. Right, well, in this room we're going to do, or now we're going to do table tipping. And then we'll have a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll do some glass divination, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do that. And the group, uh, the, the the members of the public, are either dragged from room to room, place to place, um, and they're more in the role of spectator. Uh, and and often with some of the like the table tipping, where there might be a big group of public and a might be five or six investigators, they tend to be, you know, sort of watching on as the investigators do stuff. Or they're given a piece of equipment with no instructions at all, like, here's an EMF meter, you know what EMF is, I'll go and measure it. Here's a thermometer, you you have the thermal... Why am I measuring it, uh, sir? Sir, why am I measuring it, Uh, sir? Well, that's a question they never ask, isn't it? and, and normally, the investigating group don't bother telling them. It's just, you, know, you can play with this. And it's a very unsatisfactory experience. So what I've always tried to do, and hopefully succeeded, and the feedback from people who were at Pembroke Castle and other public investigations has been generally very positive, um, is that I, I, I allow, you know, I say to them, look, this is your chance to investigate. You're going to be the investigators. I'm here to help you, to assist you. I will show you what the equipment does, if it's needed at all, because often we don't need equipment. Um, Give you the opportunities to spend time in these areas and make notes. All I want from you is is a, is a, a... a diary, a blog, a tweet about what you're doing while you're there, if you experienced anything, uh, because that all adds to the big picture. Um, you know, and I always point out that it's very difficult to do an investigation with, with a large group of people, but never overlook the fact that you're in a haunted house or a haunted castle and that unusual things can and do happen unexpectedly 
Um, and in fact, during one of the public investigations, like at Pembroke Castle, uh, the one that Dylan wasn't on, something did, something untoward did actually take place. Really? Uh, uh, and never, never was, I, I never had the opportunity to, to uh, look at it in great detail, but it was, in, on the surface, it was going to be that's, something... That's that the poor thing about the, the public investigations. Well, you, you don't have a chance to do that. Well, not then I didn't, but right. um, you know, we had some time to, to, to try to um, understand what was happening. Essentially, yeah. the staff had said to us that um, the, there was a, a system of public... Uh, what do they call them? These, these uh, automatic recording playback systems for that they have in museums and galleries. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this thing would would um, project images onto a, uh, a wall and oh, play, a, play, a, play a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It would pot- and it would, this would activate as people walked into this particular tower, and there were different ones in other towers, and they would tell the story of the castle's history as people went around. Um, now, they said that from time to time, this system would go off all by itself in this one particular tower when there was nobody nearby. Um, so it was, it was self-activating. Um, so I had an initial look, and it looked like actually you could, you could activate the system um, and went away quite happy that this was just a false positive. Um, it was, you know, the, the projector was just about reachable and you could, you could trigger it. Uh, moreover, the, the main switch for it was uh, accessible. So um, we could we, however, um, whilst everybody was out investigating the castle, I was standing about 20 yards away from um, the tower mm-hmm. with my good lady wife. And from behind Happy me... Happy anniversary, I, by the way. I thank you very much. Uh, from uh, from behind me, I heard the recording start up, the audio recording start up, and the story of um, William Marshall start to play. Now, I knew that there was nobody there in that particular tower. I also knew that uh, the system could only be activated by somebody standing or illicitly standing on a bench or pressing the button. Now, the button was well out of reach, and there was nobody in there to illicitly stand on the bench and trigger, trigger the system manually. Um, so once it had run its course, we, we then spent the next sort of, I think we had about 20, 25 minutes left of the session. So whilst they were investigating um, the castle, um, I tried to understand why this system was going to go, was going off. And of course it never went off again and I could never replicate it again. Uh, so that was, that was job number one when we uh, were of the things to do when we got back on our quid pro quo nights that of course we got shafted over. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's so, but, but you know, I say unexpected, unusual things can take place. Yeah, you know, that the turning on things off and on is not an uncommon experience. A lot of people will do that. The TV turned on by itself. The radio went on by itself. Yeah. And so 
there are, you know, reports of that of uh, mechanical devices activating by themselves, according oh, to... Oh, I wouldn't have given it any thought at all, but for the fact that the staff had said that it happens sort of fairly regularly when the castle's, you know, when there's no visitors to the castle. Right. Um, you know, of an, of an evening, they hear the system and start And so what activates the button? Is it a uh, button, you, you said? To, you have to physically press it. Oh, you have to physically press it. Okay, so it's not like yeah. a infrared activation no, or anything. No, no, no. We looked for that. We looked for a, you know. We 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 quickly realized that you know the only way of starting this thing is either to stand up on a bench and manually reach up to the projector and press the other the button on the back of the projector, or to hit this big press me button on the wall. So there you go. We've got to wrap it up. Now is this end of the are. show. So, anyways. We want to thank everyone for listening. We want to thank our patron Sue Brown, Sue Brown, and uh, Anna Isabella Rocha, and of course our newest Craig the Goot. And uh, stay tuned for the second half of Ghost Chronicles Radio when we get bizarre with Vala Ventura and Van Helsing Double V. So we'll be right back. Uh, No, we won't. Yeah, we will be actually in a way. So have a good safe night. Yep. So. Yeah, I don't blame you. So have a good night and stay safe. Good night. Goodbye. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good lord.